Hi, and welcome to The Grey Matters, a podcast where we talk about mental illness. Paramedics and other first responders, such as police and firefighters, have the highest rates of PTSD. And even more devastating is the suicide rate for first responders is soaring. On today's episode, I sit down with Ryan, a paramedic from Whitehorse, Yukon, and we chat about his training, some misconceptions about what the job entails, and what to expect when you call 911 for a mentally or emotionally related reason. They're here to remind you that you're not alone. Okay, I'm here with Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Thanks for recording with me today. Um, so um, we actually decided to do this recording about 14 months ago. I didn't realize it was so long. And yeah, time flies. And uh, so we finally got our acting gear and we got together and here we are. So um, why don't you start by just introducing yourself and maybe saying what you do for a living because that's what we're going to talk about today. So my name is Ryan and I am a paramedic. I am an advanced care paramedic. So there's three levels of paramedicine. Um, there's the primary care, advanced care, and critical care, and I am an advanced care with some training in critical care. I do both ground and air um, medicine, and I have been doing this since 2003. Okay, so a long time. Yeah, about 16 years. Cool. Um, Have you been doing it in the Yukon the whole time? Nope. I immigrated to the Yukon from the United States in 2010, so I've been here almost 10 years, it'll be 10 years in August. Okay, cool. Um, So how long do you get trained to do this type of job? It really depends on where you get trained. Okay. Um, But the general kind of rule of thumb is for primary care paramedic, it's about six months. Okay. Um, Unless you're in Ontario, then for some reason it's almost two years. And then... uh, (laughs) Your advanced care paramedic is two years, um, again, except for Ontario, where it's about six months <laughs> or a year, somewhere in that range. I didn't get trained in Ontario. I just heard from other people. He didn't know. And then critical care paramedic is another six months to a year, depending on, on where you take it. So okay. I've got a little, almost three years of training in on this. Um, they're talking about making it into a four-year bachelor degree. Oh, okay. Uh, which would change the industry quite a bit. But mm-hmm. right now, to get to my level, you're about three years. Okay. Are plus, they just finding... Plus work experience. Plus work experience, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, probably nothing can compare to that. Yeah. Um, so did you find that it was quite different when you were out on the field? Compared to school? Yeah, like were you surprised by, by things? So in school, they teach you about kind of the worst case scenarios and when you get out of school you're expecting like carnage Mm -hmm. and massive heart attacks that are killing people all the time and huge strokes that are making people completely you know immobile Mm -hmm. and then when you get out there and you find out that a lot of your calls are emotional Mm -hmm. Um, so people are calling because they are are scared or they are like they're scared because they don't know what's happening so so, so distressed yeah it's like, not it's okay. not a real emergency okay but people don't necessarily know what's an emergency and what's not mm-hmm. and so they call for us and we get there and in school you know you're like i'm gonna be a hero and i'm gonna go save everybody and then you mm-hmm. get there and they're like what they need is a hug right or, or they just need they need a ride yeah or they just need to stand up you know, sometimes you get there and, and the only thing is that they're on the ground and they need to be on a chair. And so you're just helping them to a chair and it's a very different, um, it's very different from what you expect when you get out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the stuff that you seem to be trained for is really advanced and then the stuff that you found yourself doing was more basic, yeah. nurturing stuff. That... Yeah, <laughs> stuff that they didn't go over, like mm-hmm. how to properly lift up uh, a person from the from the ground uh, safely for the patient and safely for you mm-hmm. uh, with only two people yeah and so that's that was probably one of the biggest differences I noticed okay <clears throat> so you say like a lot of calls are emotional and like mental stuff 
Is that what you get? There's a lot of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking more like for emotional, like people just being emotional about whatever the event is and not knowing right. what they need to do. They kind of, people go into those different uh, categories like fight or flight or yeah. freeze or, um, and so a lot of times people freeze and when people freeze they want people like me. Mm-hmm. And so I come. And you assess and like let them know what needs yeah. to be done and yeah. sometimes you do it. People don't go, people don't always go to the hospital and that also was kind of an interesting change like to 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 get to a scene and realize that this person doesn't need to go to the hospital mm-hmm. they just need to know that they're okay yeah yeah because you kind of probably pictured just driving around in your ambulance all the time with people yeah. all the time and yeah it's not really the case is that what happens when i see like an ambulance driving around in a residential area with no lights on like you're just cruising have you probably been to a visit like that um I always just wondered about that. Well, a lot of us turn off our lights and sirens in neighborhood areas mm-hmm. because we don't really, for several reasons, we don't, especially if it's the middle of the night, we don't yeah, wake people up. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is we don't want to necessarily draw attention to whatever house we do go to. Right. Right? Because it's, it's a, it's a private moment. Yeah. It sounds like a little bit odd to say, but for, for the patients, it's a very private thing that's yeah. happening. And if we can avoid getting all of their neighbors to be looking at us, we, we do. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And then sometimes we're on calls and we forgot something at home and we drive to our house <laughs> and grab it. Like, I can't count the number of times I'm like, ah, shoot, I left my stethoscope at home. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I always wondered, though, like, I thought, if the lights aren't on, does that mean the person is deceased? Like, if there's no, and like, so I, I just always wondered about that. I've yeah. never asked, though. <laughs> lights and sirens are... We, when people call 911, they get triaged through our dispatch. Okay. And the dispatch has a, an international standard that they use. And it's, a, it's all online. Okay. And they, they go through and they ask very standard questions like, you know, uh, where are you? If we get disconnected, uh, what's your phone number? And then, then they start to say, okay, how many people are hurt or, or sick? And if it's one, you know, are you with them or are you them? And then it's they go down this list and then they find out what it is and depending on what that algorithm spits out, mm-hmm. um, it tells the dispatch whether or not to send us lights and sirens or without lights and sirens. So for example, if you have stomach pain with no other symptoms, uh, that comes up as a one alpha one, which is abdominal pain, uh, no priority symptoms. That's not a lights and sirens call, we just drive there. And that's safer for us and it's safer for all the people around. The less we can drive with lights and sirens, the safer everybody is. Yeah. There's something like a, I, I don't remember where I saw this statistic, but it's about 300% increase in car accidents when there's lights and sirens involved. Yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So the other one is a, a 9 Echo 1 would be the opposite of the 1 Alpha 1, and, and that's somebody is immediately in threat of dying or has died. Okay. And that would be Echo is lights and sirens. And, it goes Alpha, Bravo, um, Charlie, Delta, Echo for the priority range. Okay, okay. So so A is least priority. A is least priority. Echo is, is immediate threat to life, and the other ones are gradient in between. Hmm. So, but we try to try not to drive license signs um, as much as possible. Huh, okay. That's good to know. I just never knew that. All the stuff I'm finding out. <laughs> So um, I, I know a, f- a few other um, first responders, like such as like firefighters and police as well. And um, just in talking to them, I, I know that PTSD is pretty high in, in your guys' profession and stuff. Um, but before we talk about that, I wanted to say, like, is there anything that you wanted to say um, about people that have mental illness and, and call or need to call or if someone is contemplating suicide or in the act of trying it or anything like that like what would you want them to know um when it comes to like the care they might receive so if you if you're contemplating suicide obviously call 911 um there's suicide hotlines as well i'm guessing you've you've done that and that hasn't worked and you're still thinking about it then you definitely want to call 911 um as 
as an ambulance, unless you've already tried to do something, mm-hmm. we're not going to do much for you. Mm-hmm. But what's important to know is that anytime uh, suicidal ideation or bizarre behavior is what we call um, when people are just acting abnormal, having like a panic attack or mm-hmm. um, a, a mental breakdown, I guess. Right. We, it's, it comes up as b- bizarre behavior. Those calls automatically uh, activate RCMP as well. Okay. And so <clears throat> when you call 911 and you ask for an ambulance and you, you present uh, some sort of mental health complaint, mm-hmm. um, you're going to get RCMP as well as ambulance. The RCMP are not there to arrest you. The RCMP are there for the protection of the medics because we are not trained in self-defense. Right. We're not trained in, um, in any type of, of restraints or anything like that. We, we know how to f- do it gently in the ambulance, but on scene, it's not a big part of our training. Mm-hmm. And so the RCMP are there for us. Um, and it's important to know that they're not judging you. They're just there because that's the policy. And there's no, there's no way to bypass that policy, mm-hmm. right? Once the, the computer says this is what's happening and the dispatch automatically either calls the RCMP or a lot of times the RCMP are listening in on the conversation if they already have an idea what's happening and they're dispatching the RCMP themselves. Um, and a lot of people, when the RCMP show up, they get angry uh, because they feel like they, they didn't want the cops involved. And mm-hmm. what they need to know is there isn't necessarily a case number that's being generated. Nobody's getting... Uh, you know, uh, interviewed is the wrong word, but like, there's not a file against you yeah. being made or anything like yeah. that. It's it's strictly for your safety. Yeah, it's all for the medics, and uh, and then as soon as we're comfortable with um, what's happening, uh, a lot of times we'll let the RCMP go. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'll hang out just to make sure that you know maybe we blocked them in with our ambulance. We do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, usually we'll we'll say okay we're good here and then they'll they'll go and off they'll and leave, do other calls and, and then like leave that. it to you again. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, it's it's not it's not a, anything against the people that are calling and it, it's not a a situation that's going to go on their record. Right, and it might not even really be necessary after a little while of them being there. So. Yeah, and and it maybe it wasn't even necessary in the beginning, but like I mm-hmm. said, there's no real way to bypass that. Yeah. It is what it is. And it's for safety. So yeah. I would want the people taking care of me to be safe. So <laughs> that's his personal thing. So um, is there, so, so that's good to know. So if you're, if you're in distress, don't, um, don't hesitate, don't to, hesitate call to call just because you're worried about being arrested or, yeah. or just the RCMP being present because they're just there. The other thing is that, even if you're unsure if we're going to be able to help you, give us a call anyway. Um, because sometimes we're aware of of things that can be done for you that you may not be aware of. Hmm. A lot of a lot of times, people are very well informed in what is available from a resource perspective, mm-hmm. um, depending on how long they've had mental health issues. Or, uh, but a lot of people I find are not. Right. They have no idea what's available. So, you know, maybe we come and we say, okay, you don't need to go to the hospital, but here's a here's a number for someone you can call, or, um, you know, that's probably the, the best. So you're a good resource for that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, so and it's better unsure. to be safe than, than sorry when it comes to yeah. mental health stuff. Yeah, and being alone and isolated, so yeah. good to know. Um, so when it comes to your guys' work stress and, and things... Um, is there anything in place for you guys at work for your own mental health and how to recognize when, when yours might be failing a little bit? So this has been an evolving issue over the course of, of the, my, the entire time I've been doing this. Mm-hmm. When I first started in 2003, there was very little um, resources or conversations or, or anything. You were just expected to, to do your calls, and if you couldn't deal with it, then this wasn't the industry for you. Uh, that's the generation I grew up in. Um, that has been evolving dramatically, I'd say, in the last five or six years especially. Yeah. And so 
since I've moved here, there's been an increased amount of um, supports and training. Not all of them have been as useful as others, mm -hmm. and some of them have gone too far one way or too far the other way. So we started out by just adding uh, first responders in in our in our job place were given extra counseling sessions. Okay. Um, then we. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. Then we were allowed. Uh, or lots wrong where we, we were trying to make a partnership with one of the counseling centers in town mm -hmm. where they would actually come and talk to us just and just to talk to us okay. like they come in on say every Thursday and uh, and just try to get to know us and, and see where we were um, in their professional opinion as well as so that if something went wrong they'd, they'd see it okay that didn't work out as well as they hoped the counseling um, company that we were working with kind of uh, devolved or dissolved, I guess is a better word. Dissolved, yep. And so that that kind of went out of the, it's not, I don't, as far as I know, it's not being pursued anymore. Okay. And then the, the training that's been available, so they, they started out with uh, just training for like supervisors to recognize problems in their subordinates. And then they added some, some other stuff. And we worked with another uh, counselor, uh, counseling company here in town for that. We produced some training modules and some in-house stuff. And there was a procedure for if a call was difficult for you, who you talked to to um, get a debrief or to get a... Uh, I don't remember the terminology they used. Anyway, where, where you could either talk with people one-on-one -on -one or you could talk as a, as a crew okay. about an event that happened. And that was, um, they got funding for, so it would be paid, mm -hmm. which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and Incentive. Then, yeah. <laughs> then they recently, last year, found funding for um, trauma relief is kind of what they're calling it. So Trauma relief, okay. Yeah, so if we have a call that we find traumatic and we don't feel like we can do our job anymore, mm -hmm. we can go talk tell our supervisor that we're going home and, and they will pay us to go home now and um, and they'll fill us with another person no questions asked great and we can go and, and deal with whatever it is that we're having issues with um, now is there some kind of accountability for that like if you are taking this leave and it's noticeable that you're not able to work are you supposed to kind of go to counseling and provide some kind of proof that you're working on things? Um, is that no. something that's in place? Not that I've... Not Just that wondered if there was like about. a checkup system. Yeah. So like, well, if it happens a lot and your, your supervisor notices, there are some stuff for the supervisors um, that we've been trained on to... Because uh, I'm an acting supervisor as well. Um, we've been trained to, to look for patterns and then we can approach the person and say, hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And start that process of mm -hmm. getting them the help that they need if they're not um, if they're not accessing it um, we can't force them to do anything obviously but right. we can definitely make suggestions and then this year they're adding a new program and it's called working minds it was mm -hmm. developed by the military and I I don't know a whole lot about it because I haven't gotten the training for it they just started training on it just recently but mm -hmm. from what I understand the idea is for all of us to get common terminology that we can use without getting into specifics about what's bothering us mm -hmm. but so that people know where we are that's great and um, the, the people that I've talked to that have gone through the, the training are all having positive things to say about it um, uh, there's still a lot of older medics uh either from my generation or even the generation previous or like uh, touchy-feely stuff. Uh, yeah, resistant uh, to it. Yeah, but, so yeah. we, uh, it's, we'll see how it goes as far as for the older medics, but definitely newer medics are getting trained way more in self-help. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've, I've mentored quite a few medics who have come up here and um, we, we start talking about different things and they already have plans for, you know, how to keep their 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 brain healthy 
how to, you know, what to do if they get on stress leave. Mm-hmm. Um, they already have backup plans and stuff like that. And I guess that wow. stuff's being trained a lot more in in school. And like there was, there was, there's one chapter. Actually, I didn't even think it was a full chapter. I think there's one section in the book that I did, and it was like. You know, exercise, eat healthy, get plenty of sleep, and um, and that will help you with your mental health. Well, that's just a no-brainer. <laughs> so, it's a little was, more complicated than that, though, unfortunately. That was my mental health training. <laughs> yeah, that really sets the tone, right? Like, it's you're reading that in school going, yeah, I just got to be tough. Yeah. Like, that's I got to be tough or else I can't do this job. So... And I think it's, I've watched a lot of, of coworkers go off on mental health leave and end up having, because it took so long for the process, they end up never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if they try to come back, they're, they're not in a place to do this job anymore right. because they are so damaged by either what happened or even having to fight the system. Mm-hmm. Right? Exhaustion. Before the before mm-hmm. the before there was stuff in place, they they were trying to get this done, and and the system was not designed for the kind of uh, issues we were having. Mm-hmm. I remember one of our older medics talking about being in a in a, a meeting about mental health um, issues, and he was there because he'd had a, a really traumatic call with a baby, and there was there was death, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and he was in a group with workers from another department who were there because um, they were having an argument internally. Mm-hmm. And so they were talking about how that was making them feel. And the, the, the person who was leading the group was like, okay, and what about you? And he's like, I'm afraid if I say what happened, I will damage the rest of you. Mm-hmm. And and so that's starting to not happen. We, mm-hmm. we now get place in the groups with other people who understand mm-hmm. us and and who um, in theory actually were on the same call as us yeah that's probably the best support yeah yeah so it's definitely changing <clears throat> I think that's probably a really important thing to point out too is that it's it's one thing to say I understand and like to hear that from somebody but to you feel it when you're actually talking to a group of people that you know actually do your job yeah it's just a different, it's different. You can get support from other people, but it's very helpful to have your own people. Yeah, peer yeah. support is yeah. something we've been trying to work on for a couple yeah. of years now, getting a, a peer group with the right training mm-hmm. and, and that process for getting them activated. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a promising program, hopefully. The terminology is important, yeah, especially because like, you don't want to relive a trauma you don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over to people just so they understand right so yeah that's why that's important from what i understand there's colors about how you're doing and then if you get to a certain color um there's either uh it's going to activate certain help Mm -hmm. or um like say i don't i don't know i haven't done the training Mm -hmm. but say i say to my partner i'm orange right now he might just leave me alone in the room and, mm-hmm. and let me work through some stuff and then go ask our dispatch to put us last on the list for calls. I, yeah. don't, I don't know exactly, but that's kind of what I've gathered from the people I've talked to. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good system. I mean, when you're already, like, if, if orange means that you probably shouldn't work that day, who knows what it means, but if it does, um, it's less exertion on your part, too. Like, you don't have to tell everybody yeah. everything. You don't have to report to your immediate supervisor and then tell the person you're supposed to be with that day like you don't need to say orange and then it's done yeah yeah everybody knows yeah and that's that's the goal yeah. is to to decrease the barriers yeah yeah because i think people would be more inclined to just say orange rather than i am not doing well like those are hard words to say well even saying i'm not doing well can mean different things it can people, yeah right but it's, it's so vague but it's also really hard to say yeah it seems easy but it's not in the, in the moment yeah well, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's really good. I'd be actually interested to hear about it after you've done training, see if it's made a difference, see if if you've noticed a difference at work. Yeah. Um, do you guys do you guys have meetings about about this at all? Like, does it come up in meetings? Is it a priority? The last few years, it's been 
it's come up in a lot of management and supervisor meetings. Yeah. Mental health. That's mental why all health, these programs health. are being yeah. tried, eh? And uh, because we and the other part is, I mean, they can't ignore it because there's so many people we have out on mental health um, issues. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot, and this is a <clears throat> this is probably a cold technical way of looking at it, but we have a lot of lost work hours because of mental health, mm-hmm. and that puts a financial burden on the issue yep which has a tendency to push management and money type people into doing something yeah and and maybe that's what needed to happen maybe that's not the best way for it to happen but that's it is what it is right yeah it is what happened yeah yeah um how many how many paramedics do we have in the yukon uh, actually, my manager just said he has 68 employees for Whitehorse. 68 for Whitehorse. Okay. And then, um, wow. There are, I don't know the number of community responders. The The last number I heard was somewhere between uh, 70 and 100, but that fluctuates a lot depending on, on which community is, mm-hmm. is getting volunteers and stuff like that. So, uh, But in Whitehorse, we have 68 employees. Hmm. It doesn't seem like that many. For the amount of people we have when you talk about I don't know what the like the medic to to population ratio, ratio is yeah is other places so yeah that's true I don't, I'm not sure be really interesting to find out compared to bigger cities what we are just because we already have a really high concentration of like mental illness here yeah and uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he said he estimates that about eighty percent of our calls are mental health. Eighty percent. Yeah. Wow. <coughs> and like, what? So that ranges from just someone phoning um, in distress, or yep, and then to, to uh, more violent things. More violent things. Yeah. Even like, I mean, a lot of people don't think about it, but addictions fall under the mental health mm-hmm. so alcoholism is a mental health issue we have a lot um, of that here we have a lot of that here mm-hmm. a lot of times um homelessness tends to be because of some mental health issue yep. right uh sometimes it's it's hand in hand with alcoholism or, or an addiction issue and not necessarily yeah. alcoholism there's lots of addictions um and then you've got your 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 suicidal ideation um which happens a lot in places in the north because I mean, there's lots of factors, but a lot of times it has to do with the, the lack of sunlight. Yeah. Um, that increases depression, and the sad is a, is a big thing here. It's huge. Um, sad is seasonal affective disorder, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't know uh, if I should use just Seasonal affective disorder, yeah. yes. So that, that affects a lot of calls, and some calls might be, they might show up as a, cardiac issue mm-hmm. but what what caused the stressor maybe was a mental health right problem, right yeah um so having mental health as a standalone category probably isn't the best way to look at it and that's why i think he came up with the 80 percent yeah um thing so and we don't in school get a lot of training for mental health issues because there's not a lot we can do for them in the ambulance yeah. We, we're not counselors. We're not psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. We're not psychologists. And so we don't get a lot of training in um, therapeutic communication, um, reassurance, and um, also it's, it's not our place to diagnose people or yeah. you know, we transport people to the hospital. Uh, that is getting... That's, that's starting to change too. We're actually... We've, we are working on the ability to transport to alternate locations um, to get people to where they need to be. And sometimes the hospital is that place. Most of the time the hospital is that place. Yeah. Uh, but there's other options like detox, mm-hmm. um, the, the White House Emergency Shelter, um, and I, there's other ones that are being looked at. I don't know exactly what management's looking at, but that is a process that we're working on because sometimes... The, the hospital doesn't even the hospital doesn't always have the resources right need, right yeah yeah well that's good that means that I think different organizations are prioritizing mental health at the same time mm-hmm. so which is good yeah I, I I wish 
that we were able to do more for mental health patients, but the way that the, the system is set up, we're just, we're not the best option for them. Yeah. And what about, like, you mentioned therapeutic communication. So would you, would you guys get training in how to diffuse situations like that? It really depends like, on what school you went to. I mean, it's hard to know if you're not trained, like a trained psychologist, what's actually, like if someone says something that's kind of off, off the cuff, like they might know exactly why they're saying that, whereas you might not. So your reaction might be completely different Yes. and inappropriate, whereas you're just trying to be nice, but that's not what they need. Like, so that would be a lot more training. That yep. would be like getting a counseling degree Yeah, and that's, to be able to do that, which you shouldn't be expected to do. Maybe if they do make it a bachelor's degree, that can be part of it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why they're making it into a four-year program. Like maybe they, do you know what what they're adding in there? Like maybe they're no, just finding that. I don't think they're sure what they're adding in. <laughs> they're just making it. There's still longer. Uh, there's still a national discussion on that. Um, yeah. The. A lot of times, when we when we show up. Like, here's an example. It's mm-hmm. probably an extreme example, but. What do you do with the patient who, when you show up, they come running out and they say, the aliens are, are right behind me, close the door? Right. That wasn't in your textbook, right? No. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, I mean, close the door, because if they're right, you definitely don't want them coming through. Right. But uh, do you engage in their delusion or their hallucination? Yeah, or do you try to shut it down? Or do you try to shut it down and... and and we, all of us, the longer we're in the field, we, we tend to pick up our own little ways of, of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on, on the individual patient as well and, and what they're seeing and what they're doing because of what they're seeing. But it's, it's definitely not something that we're fully prepared for out of school. No. And, and if you happen to get uh, you know, an old crusty mentor who's like, hey, no aliens, <laughs> shut up and sit down, then... Uh, that's what you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like having it standardized would probably be a better way to go. But hopefully hopefully, some of us have picked up better ways of, of, of approaching that situation. It's just it's, it's tough to know what to say to somebody like that. Or mm-hmm. the other one is, you know, you, you go and you're there for the person who just died. Mm-hmm. Even... Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a patient, uh, he was in his 80s. He died of natural causes. Uh, we came in, uh, took a look at him. He'd been dead for a little while, and so you know, I went out and I told the wife that uh, he was dead. They'd been married like 70-some-odd years. Wow. Right? Or I guess 60-some-odd years. And um, my partner at the time said that that was the hardest part was we then stayed at the scene because the spouse was so emotionally distraught and she had no idea what to say to her mm-hmm. and and I was dealing with uh, the RCMP and the coroner's office right. and, and because there's you know certain the stuff technical to stuff and so she said you know she had to sit there with the wife and she made ended up making phone calls for her to, to call um, family and mm-hmm. support and stuff like that and mm-hmm. then having a social worker come and it was she said it was extremely difficult because she'd never been trained on how to deal with that. And she was just thrown into it that yeah. day at work. And so we talked about it afterwards, and, and my partner ended up actually uh, signing up for a, a course on um, hospice, from hospice, or through oh, hospice. Wow. Yeah, hospice. Yeah, and, and she's now learned a lot more, and it was all based on that one call. But she had to go do it herself. Mm-hmm. She had to pay for... I think half the course or a third of the course or something like that um, for with their own money uh, and 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 then she had to take time off of work to go to the course which you would think that like in a profession like yours that's something that you'd be dealing with probably on a regular basis yes yeah. quite well, a bit anyway like it would be something that would be important to know how to deal with yes and, and so yeah it shouldn't be something that you just go off on your own because you're interested in learning about it and have to pay for it yeah so what well, and in the medical community, even a lot of people don't want to deal with that. I remember one time um, I brought in a patient who had been involved in a, a motor vehicle collision, and he ended up dying in the hospital. Mm-hmm. The doctor didn't want to 
tell his girlfriend because his girlfriend was pregnant oh. with his baby. And so he asked me to go out and do it. It was a younger doctor. And he's like, hey, Ryan, can you go tell her that, that he's dead? And there's, there's nothing we can do at this point. And so I got to go out to the waiting room and I got to tell the pregnant girlfriend that her, her, her baby's daddy was dead. And I remember thinking, holy crap, this sucks. Yeah. And um, luckily I just had a conversation like two weeks before that with another medic who was older than me and been doing it. And he had said, you know, when you're doing it, you know, I, it's best based on the research I read to just say X, Y, Z and, and, and be direct. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got, I got lucky. And so I did that. And I mean, she cried. And, mm-hmm. uh, but then I ended up giving her a hug, which is not my normal way of treating people right not a big huggy person Mm -hmm. with strangers um and and then you know i just what what do i do then right how Mm -hmm. long should i'm yeah i'm a technical person like how long should this hug last should i pat her on the shoulder should i not should i just sit there should i say something you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm sitting looking around into it yeah so um that those situations were not necessarily trained for and if I hadn't mm-hmm. had that conversation with that medic, you know, shortly before that, I might have done that in a way that, that could have, you know, made this, this grief even worse, right? Yeah. Um, and that's I don't wanna be in that situation. I don't wanna be that person, but at the same time what do you do? Yeah. Well you get into this job I think to help people and you're oh, yeah. that's why people would do that and to not be able to do it in that moment would be really really hard like for your coworker there that felt bad that she couldn't do it like that she shouldn't feel bad like she should have had the training yeah <laughs> you know because that's what you're there for and it's like you said like you were thinking gore and you know those things you would come across which you do but it is a lot this comforting people assessing situations that yeah. might not even require hospitalization but just a hug or a help up or whatever so or yeah family members it's very important i always wondered how nurses do that too like i have a nurse friend too that's been asked by doctors to go and deliver the news and i just i mean she's really trained in it and now she does palliative stuff so that's all she does is deal with people that are dying and their families she goes and does house calls yeah and you know she might even be someone to bring in and do training <laughs> And, and if you think about it, I mean, that's a specialty mm-hmm. in, in nursing, yeah. which is, you know, nursing is a huge industry as well. Yeah. And you're talking about a specialty of a specialty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're in those, we're in that situation as well as other situations. Yeah. And it's hard to train. Yours is a huge spectrum. Yeah. Like a huge spectrum of specialties in, in between. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's unfortunately... You know the nature of the business is a very broad scope, yeah. with a with a with a kind of a shallow depth for a lot of things, mm-hmm. and then for some stuff we have to go deeper, obviously for safety reasons. But but that's just the nature of the business, and so mm-hmm. it it ends up having to be after school that you end up with finding out that you know hey maybe we should talk to a palliative nurse and find out how they deal with these yeah. conversations, and that's you know the hospice thing, right? Yeah, hospice and yeah all those resources because I'm sure that as we start talking about all this kind of stuff more and um, how important it is to be healthy at work, I think that different organizations and like different people like nurses and all those different um, professions that are kind of linked will all come together. Like I have this hope, I have this like perfect world in my head and that's what it looks like where we all collaborate, we all train each other. You know, the people that have worked for 20 years in the field will be a mentor like that's just how it's going to be but you can't be a mentor unless your your training is updated you know what i mean like you can't train the old way yes. you have to be in the now you have to be updated because yeah you can you're 20 24 years old and you're starting your career but you're paired off with someone that has this old way of thinking and they're going to just go suck it up yeah. and you're going to suffer the whole time and that brings up another point that i was thinking about too with um trauma like P- ptsd is cumulative so if you don't get it dealt with the first time you have a trauma, your brain will just learn that horrible, like unhealthy way of living. Yeah. And, and every time something happens, you're more susceptible to have that become something that's a trauma for you rather than be resilient. 
And I think that's what's happened with a lot of the, the medics that I was saying had trouble coming back. To yeah. Because they, they... It was they, cumulative. It was cumulative. Yeah. There was a lot more damage than... It wasn't just that last trauma that sent them off work. It was the 10 years before and right. every day at work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... It, it's an interesting industry. Um, paramedicine. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it's some in all medical stuff, but... Um, I have noticed that a lot of nurses get more training in it. Um, their industry is way older than ours, so mm-hmm. they've been around for a long time. They've already had to learn some of these um, things, and for whatever reason, paramedicine didn't go to people who've been there longer and say, hey, how do you deal with this? Um, they tried to reinvent the wheel, and that's not always the best way of doing things. <laughs> no. I, I kind of, I mean, I'm glad that I get to find out more about what you guys do because when I was a kid and even maybe a teenager I remember thinking like well a like I don't know how you guys come upon certain scenes that you do or whatever but like I just felt like it was more like you guys go in you get the people you know stabilized on the gurneys and you put a needle in them if they need to and you drive them to the hospital and it's just really like hectic and da 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 but the way you're talking is that it's more like calculated you're doing it really quickly in your head but it's it's very calculated but you're taking more care like i did the care part wasn't really something that i ever thought about like yeah you're taking care of us because you're getting us to the hospital Mm -hmm. but it's the in-between part that people don't know like the behind the scenes what you're actually doing well and i think that's a lot of that has to do with tv right they Mm -hmm. they want to show same as as you know, when you first got out of school, you that's what you want to see. Is that, yeah, it's that exciting and it's yeah, and, thrilling. Yeah, but uh, I've I've sat for an hour on a scene trying to talk someone out of a closet uh, so that they wouldn't hurt themselves. And that is like nothing. What is like depicted in the movies? Yeah, like, nothing like and, that. You know, eventually she she came out and uh, and we ended up still having some sedation for her. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people find the ambulance ride itself scary. Mm-hmm. It's a small enclosed space, and you're you're literally strapped to something. Laying down, <laughs> like you're not laying down, facing backwards. It's not yeah, exactly the most natural position to be in. Unnatural. <laughs> so we ended up adding, you know, giving her some some medications to help calm her down. Yeah. But it wasn't. We couldn't give them to her when she was in the closet because we couldn't get in there. She kept yeah. throwing stuff at us. <laughs> So I sat down next to the closet and we just talked for an hour. And then yeah. and the RCMP were there with us and they were waiting and they, they didn't um, intervene because they knew that they that if they had just pulled her out it would have been it would have changed the it entire been bad. thing. And no one ever told me I would be doing that in school. No. And uh, and yeah. It's it's tough. Sometimes you're just making it up as you go along, other times you have someone with experience to fall back on. True. What would you tell, like, young Ryan that was wanting to be a paramedic? What would you tell him now? Mm. <laughs> be a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say take as many of the available extra trainings that you can early on in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I... I had an opportunity once to go to a um, suicide uh, intervention training, and I didn't take it. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that opportunity since then, and I feel like that would have that would have helped a lot in, in some of this stuff. I mean, I didn't take the training, so I don't exactly know what was there, but right. um, based on what I've seen and what I've done, I think that that would have been a good thing. And there's there was a lot of those opportunities early on in my career that I didn't take because I didn't think I needed them. And uh, I would say I should have taken them. Yeah, especially living here too. I mean, maybe you didn't know you were going to live here, but the statistics no show that it would be very, very useful here. <laughs> but I'm, for, you know, I, yeah. I did all my schooling in Fairbanks, so being okay, in the yeah. north was definitely something that is north, that I, yeah. um, I, I, I'm familiar with. Yeah. Um, I had, my dad had seasonal affective disorder and my mom struggled with mental health issues her whole life, and um, so it's it's definitely something that I knew was up here. I just I didn't think people called the ambulance for it. Yeah, no, I didn't know. I mean, I know that people call ambulances when they see a drunk person passed out on the outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done that, but 
yeah, like I didn't know that people would call for just to wonder what to do and and stuff. Like I just never knew how many calls you guys get for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and some people don't know what's happening, um, especially if they've never had an anxiety attack before. They might think they're having a heart attack. I've gotten calls or, you know, like I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And that's mm -hmm. what it comes in as, as a, as a difficulty breathing. We right. get there and we start talking to them and, okay, you are breathing. <laughs> I just listen to your lungs. Mm -hmm. They're clear. Tell me what's happening in your life. And then you start hearing, okay, well, you know, I just broke up with my boyfriend mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and he's, he's mad at me and my parents think that I'm a failure. And, and yeah. then you say, okay, so let's breathe through this. And you start doing some calming techniques and, and, and all of a sudden they're feeling better. And they're, they're like, what happened? And like you had an anxiety attack and they're, they're so common. Yeah. And yet people don't know what's happening in the moment because their their brain is not functioning properly. No. They're not accessing all of the the areas of their brain that Yeah, those neurons are not firing yeah. well. Yeah, that happened to my father in law too. He phoned us. We took him. And 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 I mean it was a good thing, you know, he was at the same age his dad was when his dad passed away from a heart attack. Oh. So I mean that was the first thought. And that was our first thought. It wasn't that it was something else, but luckily it was. Yeah. And it, it, it's really a lot like it. Like, I've had a panic attack before, too, and I was thinking, is this it? And I am, I know lots about panic attacks, and I had never had one this bad before. So I mm -hmm. thought, this has to be something worse than a panic attack. And it wasn't. It was a really, really bad panic attack. Yeah. I jumped in the shower, I changed my body temperature, and then I had some apple juice, <laughs> and I was okay, but... And just realizing it was a panic attack when I finally could. I, I, uh, I haven't told many people this, but I actually have had a, a couple of anxiety attacks as well. Um, the first time I was actually in Canadian Tire. Oh. And, uh. Yeah, that's hard. So I'm, I'm wandering around Canadian Tire and I'm like, I can't remember why I'm here. And I, I feel like I can't breathe. But at the same time, I'm here. And so I, I, I had to stop and really take this the conscious part breathing. Of me, right? Yeah, well, I had to take stock. Like, what is happening? And I realized I'm having, you know, my fingers are numb and tingling and I'm, I'm breathing really fast. I have no control over that right now. What's happening? I'm having a, an anxiety attack. And I'm like, okay. But as a medical professional, I was able to recognize that. Yeah. And, and, and then I was able to break through to the logic part of my brain. That not everyone can do that. No. Nope. So I texted Rachel, my wife, and I said, I'm, I'm in Canadian Tire. I'm having a panic attack. I have no idea why I'm here. Um, but I'm going to deal with it, and I'll text you if I need help. And uh, and so I, I, I coached myself. I just thought, what do I do with my patients? Yeah. Okay, we start with breathing. So I coached myself with breathing, <laughs> and I was able to get through it, and I eventually remembered why I was at Canadian Tire. Um, <laughs> and, but I just I wandered around the store until I could... I could probably think and I could probably deal yeah. with the situation. And uh, that was the first time. And But that's not a normal experience, I find. People tend to not recognize right. it. And it's only yeah. because of my medical training that I was able to do that. And um, which is why we're able to pick up on it when you do call. Exactly. Yeah. And I, it's only because I, I've just been interested in this stuff for so long. So I've read about it and then I've experienced smaller yeah. ones. And then this one, yeah, and have you ever read that book, um, The Whole Brain Child? No. It's really good. But anyway, there's a chapter in there, and it's about, so th this book is about, um, like, your child's brain, obviously, from the mm -hmm. title, but, like, how it works and how to regulate emotions and stuff. So, like, the, the DTs at my work will give it out yeah. to read. It's really, it's an easy read. Um, but there's this one chapter that always stuck out in my mind and it, it, it's worked for me is name it to tame it. So like name the emotion, you tame it that's as soon fair. as it's validated. Right. Yeah. So like if you can recognize you're having one, that's what helped me was, okay, this is actually a panic attack. And then boom, it went, it kicked it down a little bit. All of a sudden it was like, that's what it is. So yeah. I'm not dying. Like I'm not having a heart attack. And then it was the breathing thing. And then it was, you know, and little by little, it kind of takes you down a little bit name it to tame it so yeah. it's really important to recognize the signs that you have when you're having one because they're not the same sometimes in other people but what the like general symptoms are for other people too because when you're in a workplace 
you know, it's, it happens. Yes. It happens. And at my workplace, it's going to be happening like from right now until June because now it's like transition time. (laughs) Yeah. Or if anyone wants to use a fax machine, they get a panic attack at the fax machine. Is it broken? (laughs) Um, We actually, as a joke, it's not really funny, but um, for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, you know, they have those little pamphlets about what it looks like when a woman's having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So Anne-Marie brought a whole bunch of those to my work because it's all women. And I put one up on the fax machine (laughs) so that they can recognize, like, it's your, it's panic, it's not a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) It's because you're faxing something. They just... Yeah, it's like blindly putting information out into the world is very, very, like, anxiety. Like, I'm fine with it. I do it all the time. But, yeah, the therapists at my work, they don't want to fax anything. (laughs) That's fine. They're very, 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 very good with confidentiality. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, so that was really a lot of information that I didn't know about what you guys do behind the scenes. Um, Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that? you wanted to say anything you want people to know for for the general public um definitely call us but realize that we are human as well and mm-hmm. we're trying sometimes we don't have the training we need to deal with with whatever it is you're also dealing with and uh we are we're gonna do the best we can and if we make mistakes we're sorry uh and we will definitely think about it over and over again and try and do it better next time. But uh, just know that we're, we're there to help. We just might not know how. And if you can help us by giving us as much information as possible, we're not trying to be mean. Um, Don't be scared of judgment because yeah. there won't be. Yeah, that helps with giving information. Yeah. And then for any medics, um, you... You can't provide really solid mental health care to other people if your own mental health is not a priority as well. Yeah, if it's what's the whole put the mask on yourself first? Right. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be present. You gotta be there. I I think that's kind of the big things that I would like people to know. And, And I mean, like, it's. In your line of profession and firefighters and police, like you guys are going to be coming across in your day-to-day job more things, more traumatic events than we do. Like when I go to work, I, I push paper and look at a computer. And I mean, I, I, sometimes I am at risk at experience vicarious trauma sometimes, but we deal with that at my work, so I don't. But um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's, it's really important because if you don't get the help you need when you need it, as soon as you need it, it'll only get worse. Like it won't get better without help. That's true. And so having that, that uh, working minds program getting implemented into your work, I think it's fantastic because it's really important to recognize it, but also to be able to feel like you can talk about it. I think that's probably a big thing. And that has definitely changed dramatically since I first started more mm-hmm. people are talking about their feelings to the point where like it's it's kind of like a little it, bit yeah, it's weird like, it's very much in our face and yeah like some like I'm still more of the old guard and I yeah. still keep my stuff a little f- um, further in and yeah but uh definitely it's it's becoming more normal to just say hey I'm I've been I've had you know counseling the last you know six months for that call that we did or mm-hmm. whatever and you're, oh okay well I guess that's good to know yeah or feeling like I think that you know one person might experience an event completely different than the next person so say you and your partner went on a call you were traumatized by this and she was fine and you're thinking she's fine I should be fine you know like that should language that gets gets you wrapped up it's really hard because and so people need to know that everyone um, is different, like the way you experience things, and you can't even predict sometimes what's going to affect you and what's not. No, that and that's that's actually a hundred percent true. I was talking about that with another coworker the other day, and um, was it, for a little while, our work tried this thing where if they thought that the call was traumatic, they would try and send you home. Mm. Very short amount of time, it, it didn't last mm-hmm. long. But yeah. you know, for me, 
the call was fine for my partner. She had tons of problems with it. Mm-hmm. She can go home. I don't mind that. I'm ready to work. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I want to work. I'm, I'm here to, yeah. to do this. And um, I don't want to get sent home. <laughs> no. And it's kind of a trust thing, too, between coworkers and your boss, too. Like, you have to trust that they're going to have something in place for you if you need it. They need to trust that you're going to take it if you need it so that they have a worker that's healthy. Yeah. So you have to be honest. It's important. But, yeah, you can't be unless you feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. No. It has to start there. And it's definitely becoming something that people are not afraid to talk about, which yeah. is good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like my boss, this time last year I wasn't doing well, and she literally dragged me into her office and said, like, you need to go home for the day. <laughs> I'm going to sit at your desk and I'm going to phone you later. Like she wanted to check up on me. And then, and then actually something happened and she didn't, but she got someone else too. <laughs> like there was a check-in for me. Yeah. And, and it's just something that we just talk about so openly at my work. Like someone, there's like, there's a couple of people that used to call in like sick quite a bit and you knew it was mentally related. It wasn't that they had a cold all the time. And I actually took the initiative and said like, I've been noticing you've been not coming in. Like, is everything okay? Like, in your head? Like, is, <laughs> how are you doing? And and they actually broke down, and it was finally, like, a time where that they were able to tell me what was going on. And then the next time they couldn't come to work, they were honest. They were like, I'm not doing well. It's a stressful morning. I might not get in till 11. And then at 11, they're like, I can't come in. And they felt like they could com- be completely honest with me because I took that little bit of time and... and talk to them about it like in a real way yeah um because i don't we should be able to call in mentally sick and not feel like we have to go (laughs) i really back off and i can't come in and you know and have someone show up at your house with chicken noodle soup when actually all you want to do is hide under your covers that day and not be disruptive so yeah yeah it's to, to get the kind of care you require you also need to be honest about what's happening so it's actually one of the things that I've been listening to almost all your podcasts <laughs> and uh, how open you've been with literally the world um, has been a, an interesting thing to contemplate and mm-hmm. and listen to. And then the people that you've gotten on your podcast and how candid they've been. Yeah. Um, even some of your coworkers have been yep. on. Yes. And, so, and they're going to be on again. <laughs> And you're... I've got to find out how Jessica's doing now that she's working and has two kids. Yeah. <laughs> that's That's been an interesting thing to listen to. And I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't quite sure how it would be to get people on your podcast when you were initially yeah. asking for, for people to come. Yeah, no, I wasn't actually sure either. I just knew it was something that I felt needed to be done because um, we hide it. We hide it too much. And I think it's... The whole, I don't know if you listened to the one I did with my buddy Ronnie. He did this thing about addictions, but he did talk about how the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connectivity. It's connection. You can't, you can't get over your addictions without being connected to some people, something, some passion in your life that's not unhealthy. And, um, and it was, I mean, I was, I did a few episodes before that one, but it was that one that when he said that, I was like, you you're right and that's why we're doing this like that was the whole point of it yeah that's fair so but i really wanted to this warning i just really wanted to get kind of like yeah your professional um story and your opinions about things and and information because yeah it was really really interesting i know that you guys encounter a lot of different things like i said like it's a spectrum and you can't always deal with it all by yourself all the time. No. There's just too much. And it's things that you can't even, you can't even imagine. It's different every day. So even when you're going to work, it's unpredictable too. So you have to, there's just a lot of things that are different in your guys' line of work. But the unpredictability makes it fun. Yeah. And, and <laughs> if you have that kind of personality where that's what drives you, then that is what you're meant to do. It's just the, the brain stuff that you can't predict might happen to you. Yeah. Is the stuff that everybody needs help with. Yeah. So I'm glad that it's it's becoming more mainstream in your work, and I'm glad that it's becoming recognized. So thanks for sitting down with me. Well, thanks for getting with me and letting me talk. Yeah, awesome. Maybe we'll talk again after the program's been in place, and we can yeah. see how that's going. Maybe some of your coworkers could talk about it too. 
All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. All right. Have fun. Thanks for listening. And thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time to sit down with me and chat about what you do. Um, what you do is not easy. And so I just want to take the opportunity to shout out to all my first responder friends. I'm very thankful for the work you do, um, keeping us safe um, and out of harm's way the best that you can do. So thank you so much. I'm very thankful. Um, if you have a story to share, please don't hesitate to contact me. You can reach me at the Gray Matters Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the Gray Matters 4, that's the number 4, or you can follow my blog at thegraymatters.com.wordpress.com. Thanks again. Take care. <laughs>